So I have some good news and some bad news. The good news, 2020 will end in five days. The bad news, I don't think the beginning of 2021 is going to be much different. I'm sure we've all seen the jokes and, and the memes going around about uh, this year. Here are some of my favorites. I really like this one. Um, this is what we were all expecting the year to be like in January, and here's how we feel in December. Or I like this meme that perhaps, you know, in 50 years when they talk about what 2020 has been like, they will call it a nightmare. Or this is my favorite. Just 2020, one star, very bad, would not recommend. I would guess that all of us in formal and informal ways are taking stock of what this year has been like for us. We all know that it's been full of drastic, real, um, life-altering changes for every single one of us. So let me ask you a serious question. If you went back to 2019, to January 2019, what were you most expecting uh, the year to be like, in, sorry, in December 2019, and in, in, as you moved into January 2020, what did you want the year of 2020 to be like? What's the best thing that could have happened? When you were praying about that year, what would it have been like? The, the best thing that could have happened for you that year? Maybe, maybe for some of you, it's just let's survive 2020. Maybe for some of you, it was graduating from high school or college. Maybe for some of you, it was about achieving something in your job or, or looking for a new level of stability in your family. But whatever it is, we all had expectations about what 2020 was going to be like. And now here we are in December, knowing all that this year had in store for us. You know, the experience like the one we've all had over the past 10 months should be an invitation for all of us to ask questions. To ask questions about the hardships and the changes that have challenged us this year and to consider what was most important. I think we've all had those clarifying conversations, um, perhaps really recently or over the past couple months, about how 2020 has caused us to think differently about what's important to us and what matters most. And so in light of who we are as God's people, in light of the idea that we've been called into relationship with him, we have a different way of being in the world, I thought maybe we would take some time over the next two weeks to intentionally ask these questions. As we close out a year and we enter into a new one, what if we really stop to ask ourselves, what would be God's heart for us as we look backwards at a tough year and we look forwards at a year of uncertainty? And to help us with that, we're going to use two prayers in the book of Ephesians. Two prayers that Paul prays for his friends, his believers in Christ that are his friends. And we're going to use those prayers as ways to ask ourselves and answer these questions about what's really important when we go through hard times or difficult times or when we're looking forward to the future. So if you have your Bible, let's go to Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to read uh, Paul's first prayer there. And as you're turning, let me just remind you about this book really quickly. Paul was writing from jail to his friends in Ephesus. He had planted the church there, and he had spent one of the longest chunks of his ministry, one of the longest chunks of time of his ministry in Ephesus, building up the believers there, establishing the church, teaching them. As a matter of fact, we really kind of think that Ephesians may be the book of, the, the, of Paul's letters that is written to the most spiritually mature believers. And so here, towards the beginning of his letter, he has this prayer for his friends. Let's read it together. This is in Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. This is what the scripture says. It says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, 
remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom, of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. God, we do ask that you would help us uh, imagine a life of knowing you better, that we might pursue that wholeheartedly. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. So this is a tough text. It's a really hard text. As a matter of fact, um, it's a 169-word long sentence. Uh, your English teacher cringed uh, when they heard about that. It's a massive run-on sentence, and it's hard to understand, but let's dig into it, because at the heart of this sentence is one particular request that Paul is making of God on behalf of believers. Here's what it says in the NIV, how it describes this request. It says this, Paul says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. The heart of Paul's request is that you would know God better, that we would know God better. And it's clearly important to him because he says he keeps on praying this. He says he, he, hasn't, he hasn't let go of this prayer. This is his constant, um, dedicated prayer that we would know God better. Paul is laboring in prayer over this point, so it's clearly important. And so let's ask ourselves, what is he talking about here? What does it really mean that we would know God better? Well, here's what this prayer isn't asking for. First of all, he's not asking that the people, his friends in Ephesus, that those people would be happy and healthy and safe. He's not asking for that. He's not laboring in prayer over that. And it would have been natural that he might because we know that there was trouble in Ephesus. We know that there were riots in Ephesus over Jesus. We know that when Paul was there, there was unrest. We know that his life was in danger several times. We know that just in general, being a follower of Jesus in the Roman Empire was dangerous. Um, we know that Paul's writing this letter from jail. It, it, we might assume that one of the things he would really want from God is that the people would be happy and healthy and safe. And yet, that's not what he asks. Instead, he's asking about um, spiritual purposes. How many times do we pray for people's um, uh, physical health? All the time. Those are good and appropriate and right prayers. But here, Paul is asking for something different. He thinks it's critical that we focus not just on earthly affairs and worldly prosperity and affluence, but instead he's focusing on godly abundance. Here's what else this prayer isn't asking for. This prayer is not asking that the people of Ephesus would be better believers. Again, that's something natural we think Paul might ask for. 
we might think that here he would want uh, to put forth a request that um, for them to be more faithful in their practice of the faith or that they would be uh, uh, good in sharing the gospel with everyone or that they would grow in generosity towards the poor or maybe that they would be more consistent in meeting together. We could see Paul perhaps asking that they... Um, that they would be uh, giving towards the church and that their church would be experiencing growth. But again, this isn't what Paul is laboring for in prayer. Paul is making a request about something internal. He's making a request about something deeper, about something that's more, um, that's less obviously fruitful. You know what else this prayer isn't asking about? This prayer isn't asking that the people in the church of Ephesus would know about God more. This is where I like the NIV translation a little bit better because it does draw out this idea that we would know God better, not just know about God. So I have a confession to make. When I was a young teenager, I was completely and totally and massively and almost consumingly obsessed with the new kids on the block. Now, in case you don't know, the New Kids were a boy band in the late 80s and 90s, and I knew everything about them. I knew the full names of all the members. I knew their hobbies and their interests and their birth dates. I knew all of like, the facts about their lives, but it wasn't even that. I knew all of their music. I wore out VHS tapes, learning the choreography to their songs. My walls were covered, literally covered, with posters of the new kids. I had spent so much money on magazines um, to learn about them. As a matter of fact, my uh, friend and I even created, we like wrote and created and assembled and put together and mailed our own newsletter about the new kids on the block to our friends. I tell you this slightly embarrassing story to make one big point. I did not know the new kids on the block. I don't know the new kids on the block. I knew all about them. I could tell you all about them, but I had never met them. They didn't know me. I was a stranger to them. They were a stranger to me. And there is a difference between knowing about God and knowing God. You know, this is part of Paul's prayer here. This is what he thinks is important because even though we could know things about God, it may be possible for us to not know him. We all know this is possible. We all know have had that happen, that we could know about someone but not know them. And this is a critical distinction for us to make here because knowing a person is more than head knowledge. And so what this prayer is concerned with is not like why God does what he does or where God is when we pray for him or when God is going to act or how God makes his decisions. This prayer is concerned with us knowing who God is. This prayer is about us knowing God. This is what the scriptures have been talking about all over from the very beginning, that people would know the Lord. That sometimes they wouldn't know what he was doing, but they could know him. And so the Old Testament is really concerned with introducing us to the character of God, telling us who God is and how he's acting in the world. And then it all reaches its climax as Jesus comes in the Christmas story. And that night before Jesus is crucified, in uh, John 17, he offers this, this prayer, this priestly prayer. And in that prayer, what does he say? He says that I pray that they would know you. 
He says to God, I'm, I'm praying that they would know you, and that's eternal life, and that they would know you through the one that you sent, Jesus Christ. He says, I have made you known to them, and I will continue to make you known to them in order that they may know the love you have for me, and that I may be in them. It's what, it's what Jesus wanted most, that we would know him. The rest of the scriptures pick it up. I, I think about Paul in, in Philippians 3 as he gives his like massively impressive, well-rounded, like, like off-the-charts amazing religious resume about who he is. And then he says all of those things he considers rubbish compared to what? Compared to knowing Christ. You know, the, the scriptures are really in, in, impressing upon us the idea that we should know Jesus. This is what your pastors and elders want for you. We talk about it a lot, that our desire for you is not just to have a good church where lots of stuff is going on, but for us to have a church where people know Jesus Christ, where they know God and they know him more intimately and they're growing in that knowledge. It shapes our ministries to kids and students. It's not really a priority for us to have the, the fanciest, most exciting youth ministries with the biggest stuff and the amazing things going on. What's most important to us is that we create spaces where teenagers and kids can come to know Jesus Christ. It's all about knowing God. But did you notice it's not just about knowing God, it's about getting to know God better is what this prayer says. That a priority, a, a critical thing is that we would know God better this isn't an intellectual knowing. Think about the people that you know best in, their, in your life. You may not know all their statistics. You may not know how tall they stand or exactly how old they are. You may even forget their birth date, but you know them. I mean, think about the people you know best. You know what's important to them. You know what they like and what they dislike. You know how they think. Think about the people you really know in your life and how you can share a glance and know exactly what the other is thinking. Think about how you can be in an experience and think, I wonder what so-and-so would think. I wouldn't want to share this with them, the people that you know the best. Think about how you can complete one another's sentences. Think about how you share the same ideas about the world. Think about how when you know someone well, you're comfortable just being with them. This is the knowing Paul is talking about. There's an intimacy involved. There's a connection involved that goes deeper than just knowing about who God is. As a matter of fact, knowing is the way the Bible, that's the word the Bible uses to describe the most uh, intimate of relationships, that we would know God. And friends, the goal here is God himself. Not just mere knowledge, not, not being a better religious person or a more faithful attender of, of church or being a more generous person or better at Bible trivia. The goal of all of the Christian life, friends, is to know Jesus. Think about how we get this off a little bit. Sometimes we think the great reward of the Christian life is eternal life. We think the great reward of, of having trust in Jesus is that one day we will live with him forever in heaven. But friends, that's not it at all. Think about this. Eternal life is simply the circumstance that is required in order for us to know God forever. The reward is not eternal life itself. The reward is God himself. The benefit is a relationship with God himself, and, and, and eternity with him is just what's required so that we can have that. You know, I remember when this became 
real to me. I remember the question, and I've asked it you, to you before, but I'll ask it again. It's a hard question. What if one day when we die and we, we go to the new creation and we, and we find that we have everything we want, our reunions with all of our lost loved ones, all of the things that we thought would make life perfect and complete, no more tears, all of the purpose and all of the joy and all of the beauty that we thought that we needed, and that we get to that place and then we find God himself isn't there. Though we have everything else we needed, what if God was not there? Would we be okay with it? The point of the Christian life is to have more of God himself. When I was in college, I, the last semester, I was getting ready to graduate, and I remember memorizing that small part of Philippians 3, and, and I would walk around campus to different classes or to work, and, and I would say it over and over in my mind, to, so I was trying to learn it, and, and I remember saying over and over again, I want to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in his suffering, becoming like him in death, so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. And I remember thinking, I want that. I want to know Christ. Do you want to know Christ? Well, there's a couple things required, and here's what the passage says. The passage says in verse 17, here's what's required. It says, I'm praying that God will give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And then in verse 18, it says, and I'm praying that your hearts would be enlightened. And so here's what's required. It's essential for us to know that the things of God, to know God better, those things have to be revealed to you by God himself. That God himself has to empower our ability to know him. So the spirit comes and it gives us wisdom and it gives us knowledge about who he is and what he's doing. And so I'm thinking about uh, Isaiah 55, where God says that his, his thoughts are beyond our thoughts. And his ways are beyond our ways. As high as the heaven is above the earth, so are his thoughts beyond our thoughts. Or I'm thinking about Romans 11 where we're quoting Psalms and it says, um, oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments, how unknowable are his paths. Or 1 Corinthians 2 where we're reminded that no one knows the mind of a man except his spirit, just like no one knows the mind of God except his spirit, and we know it as it's revealed to us. So to know God more means that his spirit must be working, and this passage tells us that the the working of the spirit is like the flipping on of a light. It's the enlightening of the eyes of our hearts. We've all walked into a dark room before. You can't see what's there. This is the image that we're being given, that God himself, as we seek to know him more, as we want to build a relationship with him, as we seek to desire him and to grow deeper in in our knowledge of him and in our relationship with him, that it requires him to come and flip on the lights. Then we need to plead with him, come open my eyes to what may have always been there, but that I might know you more. And so we, we pray this prayer, we, we share in this desire, we orient ourselves perhaps maybe for the first time to the idea that I want to know God, I want him to be my great reward. And in order for that to happen, God has to work. Because this, this great idea of Paul's, this, this plea of Paul's doesn't come as a command, it comes as a prayer, not for us to work, but for God to work. And look how he says it will come out. He gives us three examples of knowing 
God better, of knowing him better. Here's the first example. It's that we would know the hope to which we are called. We would know the hope to which we are called. Well, friends, what is that hope? That hope is that because we know God, because Christ has given his life for us, that we belong to him, that he has made us his own. We have this hope that his intentions towards us are always for good. We have this hope that he will work out everything in accordance with his will. We have this hope and this trust and this surety in his unfallible promises that he won't abandon us, that we will never escape his intention, that he has good things prepared for us to do. And this hope is is future-oriented so that we will be with him forever, not because forever is the goal, but, but because he is the goal. Because knowing him is the goal. And so the Holy Spirit is given to us now as a deposit, he tells us earlier in the chapter, that we would have him forever. And so whatever the future holds, whether it's a pandemic or illness or suffering or struggle or want or need, whatever the future holds for you, friend, it holds him too. God is setting all things right. You will be with him forever. Your future is anchored to the very throne of God. And so to know God better is to also know the hope of our destiny. We will be with him. But did you see the other part of this knowing? It's that we would know the hope to which we are called, but also in verse 18, that we would know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And there's a tiny debate about this, but I think the right way to understand this verse is to know that these riches are not the riches that we receive. They are the riches that we are. We are Christ's inheritance. Christ owns this inheritance that comes to him in the saints, that comes to him in the people. God the Father, here's what the scriptures teach us, God the Father has given Jesus the Son an inheritance, and that inheritance is a people for his own, a people who belong to him, who are bought with his precious blood, who will belong to him forever. And so for the joy set before him, Hebrews says, Christ endured the cross. Why did he go to the cross? What did he purchase? You were the joy set before him. You were the riches of his inheritance. You were of ultimate value and worth. I mean, think about it. Think about God himself who who made and owns everything who could make her own, anything he ever needed, who, who all of the galaxies and the smallest molecules, everything that exists belongs to him, and yet he says, you are his treasure. You are his riches. We, his gathered people, we are his inheritance. We are the gift he's after. And so to know God better is also to know our identity as his inheritance. It's to know we have value and worth in his eyes because he's given his very son that we would be with him. And the last thing, to know God better, this, this passage tells us in verse 19, it's to know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. The immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. We'll talk more about this power when we look at next week's prayer. But here, notice that Paul says to know God is to know power. 
It's to know the, the working in our lives, and we would miss it in the English, but he uses all these synonyms, like synonym, picture after picture, word after word, to paint this idea that God is at work powerfully in the world. First of all, the first example, raising Jesus from the dead, seating him at his right hand, exercising power and authority over everything that it is from time past to time in the future, that God is in control and that that power is at work in his body, which is the church. And so think about it. That power, the mighty power that created the universe, that raised Jesus from the dead, is there for us. To know God is to know that power. To know God better is to know that he has this purpose for us as vessels of his power in the world, his working in the world. He has purposes for you and I to achieve things in the world that represent his kingdom and his love. To know God better is to know the hope of a sure destiny. To know God better is to know our identity as God's rich treasure, his inheritance, and to know God better is to know our purpose as the vessels of his mighty, unstoppable, world-altering power. And so we begin where we started. What did you think 2020 was going to be like? For us, we might answer the question by answering this question. Do you know God better today than you did 12 months ago? As we look back on this year, we can ask ourselves, has God proven faithful to me? Has God let me down? Or have I seen him more and more at work as I've come to know him and to know him more? Do I know God more intimately even if that intimacy has been born of pain and difficulty and struggle and trial? Have I had to lean on God more this year? Have I had to to God more this year? Have I longed for him more this year? Have I desired his coming more this year? Have I turned to him more? Has 2020 been a year in which I could know God better? And so there are questions we can ask ourselves. And so I want to challenge you. Before this calendar year is out, before you turn the page, before you hang up the next calendar, ask yourselves these questions. What do I know of God today that I didn't know on December 31st, 2019? And how did I learn it? Or maybe this. How have I experienced God's goodness and blessing to me in the past year? And have I expressed my gratitude to him for those blessings? Or how have I experienced challenge and difficulty from God in the past 12 months? Have I expressed my desire to change and repent and grow in the midst of those challenges? What is a piece of scripture that I've studied this year that has taken root in me in a way that's changed the way I relate to God, that's changed the way I think and what I desire? How have I encouraged others to know God better? And how have others encouraged me to know God in return? Maybe finally, how have I experienced fellowship and intimacy with God this year? Friends, I don't know what 2020 has been like for you. I do know, though, it seems that we've all gone through similar circumstances. 
our experiences tend to be really different and very divergent. I know we've all experienced this time slightly differently. You know, for some of us, we've experienced isolation and loneliness like we've never known. But for others, we've experienced the crush of an ever-present family we can't escape. I know others have thrived in a new work-from-home, school-from-home environment, and others have withered. And it's been so hard. I know some people have thrilled at having their family grow closer while others of us have seen familial bonds tatter and fray. Some of us have been pushed to what we thought was our breaking point and pushed even further. But others of us have found balance and freedom that we haven't known before. We can all admit this year has been hard. It's been different. And whatever it's been for you, I want to encourage you as it closes this week to know that the great God of the universe pursues you as his treasure, that you are his riches, that he loves you desperately and he has come to know you and he wants to know you even more and he invites you to come and know him, not just to know about him, not just to know more about the Bible, but to truly know him. He gave his very son that that would be true. There is not one prayer I pray more for you, Northminster family, than this one, that you would know God, that he would capture your heart and your desires and your imagination, and that he would truly become all that you need, your all in all. Let's pray that prayer as we close. God, I do ask for you, I to move. I do ask for you to pour out your Holy Spirit on on your people, even your people of Northminster, but, but your people all around this world, that your spirit would flip on the light switch in our lives, that we might know you, that we might see you as a, as a person to have a relationship with, that we might desire to go deeper, that we might not just want to do religious activities, but instead that our hearts might yearn for more of you yourself, that you would give us a picture of what that's like, that your Holy Spirit would give us wisdom and discernment and knowledge, that your Holy Spirit would reveal to us the riches that are to be found in you. God, as we close this year, might we truly consider what it is to know you more. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.